You're listening to a sermon from Plus Life, a church that exists to see lives changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our prayer is that you will be stirred in your heart and renewed in your mind as you hear the preaching of God's word today. Tell someone the title of my sermon this morning, To Reflect Christ's Love. To Reflect, reflect Christ's Love. Before we get started with this morning's sermon, I want to give you a little preview about what we'll be starting next week uh, here at Plus Life. As mentioned in the past, our church is shifting in season. Some of us who are married have kids, and others who are in relationships are thinking or planning about marriage. Others who are single are, are looking for spouses or a partner. So what does, it, what does the Bible say about these things about these seasons of life? What does the Bible say about finding a spouse or a partner? What does it say about being single? What does the Bible say about marriage and divorce? And maybe more relevant to our society, what does the Bible say about gender and sexuality? All these questions and more will be answered next week or starting next week as we start our Plus Life uh, series called Taboo, where we will seek to address topics that are not often talked about in the church. Our purpose with this new series, series is not only reinforce these biblical truths on these topics, but also reclaim them from the world and illuminate them with the light of the gospel. So get excited about that, invite your friends, and we'll see you next week as we start that. But before we get to that series, let's conclude our faith goal series. So, so far in this series, we've, we've been setting goals for ourselves, our, in our church, really, to see growth and spiritual maturity. The first goal that we set for ourselves was, uh, of course, to become disciple makers, to, to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Last week, we talked about how we can cultivate lives that revolve around the gospel. And of course, we said that we have to do that together. We must stand together, strive together, and of course, suffer together for the sake of the gospel. And so now we come to the final sermon of our Faith Goals series, our vision casting series, and unpacking what it truly means to reflect the love of Christ within our communities. In a world where love is often dramatized and, and sung about and publicized and even redefined, it's important that our church reflects the true definition of love, the kind of love that Christ calls us to demonstrate. Because Plus Life's mission to reflect Christ's love is not just exclusive to our church, but to every believer. Every believer is required or, or, or expected to show this kind of love. We read in John chapter 13, Jesus says in John chapter 13, verse 34, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Christ, Christ is explicitly clear, right? The primary distinctive of his followers, of his disciples is love. And not just any kind of love, but his, his standard of love, his level of love. He says, just as I have loved you, meaning his perfect, his irrevocable, his unconditional, his undeserved love, you also are to love one another with. Now, understandably, that is a tall order. That is a high bar set by the Lord. It almost seems impossible, right? Because how can we reflect that kind of perfect love when we ourselves are, are fickle, we're, we're imperfect, and we, we oftentimes think about ourselves? How are we to demonstrate this love? Well, fortunately, our example this morning is Christ himself. 
Like if there was ever a person to, to imitate when it comes to love, it's the author of love, Jesus Christ. And so in our passage, Jesus demonstrates to us exactly what it means to love like him. And more than that, it shows us how to love when circumstances are not ideal, or when, even when there are obstacles to loving or hurdles to come across when we are called to love people. My hope is that we learn from the Savior's example um, this morning, church, that, that, so that Plus Life would be known as a people who truly exemplifies Christ's love, the Savior's love. My desire is to be a church who will go to whatever lengths to show the love of the Savior, even to those whom society has written off or has rejected. This morning, I pray that we would truly be convicted of what it means to love like the Savior. So let's jump into our passage. Someone say, jump for me. Our passage begins by setting the stage in which Christ's love is demonstrated. The top of our passage says in verse 40, and a leper, a leper, this is the context, the recipient of Christ's love in our passage. Now, this tells us a lot about what's going to happen or what's going on in our passage. This is like if the Queen of England came into our church. We know that it, it, this is not just some ordinary encounter. This is extraordinary. Something's about to go down, and rightly so, because if there was any situation that would demonstrate the extent of God's love, of Christ's love, it would be this physical disease that society had completely de demonized and greatly feared. Now, in case you didn't know and were wondering, what's a jungle cat doing coming to Jesus? It's not a leopard, it's a leper, right? Leprosy in ancient times was one of the most feared bacterial diseases in Israel and certainly in the known world. Biblically speaking, leprosy often referred to a variety of skin disorders or skin diseases, and, and we see this in Leviticus 13. You can read about that on your own time. If you had a rash or dry skin or some sort of inflammation on your body, you would be considered a leper out of precaution, right? So you don't spread it to others in the community. But the most severe kind of leprosy is what is known today as Hansen's disease. It's a bacterial infection that destroys the nerves of the human body, as well as the skin and soft tissue around the eyes and the nose. If not treated, it could actually spread into your, your organs or your bones. But the real danger in this disease was what would happen after the disease had destroyed your nerves. Lepers would often burn themselves or cut themselves or, or bruise their bodies unknowingly because their nerves would be gone. And as a result, their flesh would necrotize or, or fall off. So oftentimes you can tell who was a leper because lepers would be covered in bandages just to keep their flesh from, from rotting or, or to cover up open wounds or sores. This was a horrible disease, and even today. The difference, however, is now we have a cure for it. It's treatable. But in ancient times, there was no cure and lepers were ostracized by society. They were forced to live in leper colonies out away from the communities, away from cities and towns. All because, because this bacteria, this leprosy bacteria, was a transmissible bacteria, right? It was a transmissible disease. Scientists today theorize that this bacteria is transmitted via water droplets from the infected's mouth. Of course, people didn't know that back then. They thought that if you simply touched a leper or a leper touched you, that you would be infected with this or contract this disease as well. So in ancient times, the stigma with leprosy was so bad that when lepers came into town and cities, people would shout out, unclean, unclean to them. 
In fact, we, we can conclude that this leper in our story didn't just suffer from a, an average skin rash or, or something, but in fact, that he, in fact, he struggled with Hansen's disease because his request from Christ was to make him what? Clean. In verse 40, and a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, if you will, you can make me clean. So this desire to be clean came from a guy who was constantly told that he was unclean. Lepers were, were so rejected by society that vendors would not sell them goods, forcing them to be beggars on the street. And the religious leaders were no help either. Lepers were banned from entering synagogues or entering into the temple. Some rabbis even took to, to, to demonstrating their, their own piety by the way they treated lepers. In some rabbinical writings, uh, we see how rabbis would not walk down the same street as, uh, as a, a street that a, a leper did. Some rabbis even suggested stoning lepers because they saw leprosy as a judgment from the Lord. And so they were just aiding God in His judgment by stoning people with this disease. So in short... Lepers were outcasts of society, deemed unclean, untouchable. And if you associated with one of them, you would be deemed just as unclean. This is how lepers were treated. Now, if it hasn't clicked in your minds yet, church, there's a great deal of parallel to how lepers were treated and to how people with COVID or the unvaccinated are treated in our society today. There is a stigma, a fear that society has developed around this COVID disease. People who have, have it or unvaccinated are literally excluded from society, even shamed and blamed as to why this pandemic is still going around. Like lepers in Jesus' day, the unvaccinated are prevented from eating in restaurants or going to certain facilities or, or even traveling, right? In addition to this, there seems to be a constant fear that everyone has now with each other. People avoid walking near people in grocery stores and, and they hide behind masks. And the moment you hear someone has COVID, the automatic response is, get away from me, quarantine, isolate, unclean, unclean. And the worst of the comparison is that, well, similar to the rabbis in Jesus' day, churches per perpetuate the stigma, this fear. Churches are still closed today because of the fear of having members catch this virus. And you apparently look more holy depending on how many masks you wear or how many COVID protocols or procedures your church has adopted. I've seen Christians go as far as shame those who are unvaccinated and shun those who have this disease, all the while virtue signaling about, uh, about how much they care about saving lives. When in reality, they're allowing fear to control their lives. That's partiality at its core, is it not? Instead of choosing between Greeks and Gentiles, as Scripture says, we're choosing between unvaccinated and the vaccinated, those who are sick or those who are healthy. Those churches should be ashamed. Because again, they're no better than the synagogues of Satan or the rabbis in ancient times who declared lepers as, as untouchables. I mean, how can you even call yourself a church if you require a piece of paper from the government to tell you who can and who cannot worship in your, in your church, in your building? Why don't you just charge admission at your door and call it Disneyland and be done with it, right? Stop tarnishing the bride of Christ. Hopefully you can see why the Holy Spirit has led me to this passage this morning for our sermon because there's great, sadly, there's a great parallel between what's happening in churches today and how lepers were treated in Jesus' day. 
what I want to pull from this passage, church, is how we are to reflect Christ's love as a church and truly exemplify the heart of Christ towards the untouchables, the unclean, the ostracized, the rejected of society so that we don't become hypocrites when it comes to what we preach. What good is trying to, to, to reflect the love of Christ when we pick and choose who we, who we reflect it to? And church, as your pastor... I'm sure it's where us elders are in the same mind. We refuse to allow our church to compromise on what God has called us to be, to do. Even if it means being fined or being thrown into prison, plus life will keep its doors open to everyone that God calls us to love. And so this morning, I want to set a faith goal for our church and for, our, for us individually on how we can be that, be a people who truly reflects the love of Christ without partiality, regardless of who it is that we are to reflect that love to, regardless of what obstacle would come our way. It's really quiet in the room this morning. And so what's the first step to this? Well, first and foremost, we need to be a people of faith, a people of faith. Our pastor says, and the leper came to him, imploring him and kneeling to said to him, if you will, you can make me clean. Why did this leper come to Jesus? Because earlier in this chapter, it says that Jesus was healing this, the entire cities and entire towns of, of disease and casting out demons. This leper knew that if anyone could heal him, if anyone could help him, it would be Jesus. But he also knew that he could come to Jesus and not be rejected because Jesus had not turned anyone away. So this leper, having heard of Jesus' miracles and having heard of Jesus' acceptance of everyone, comes knowing that he would find help, healing, that he would be accepted and not rejected. And it's the same for us believers who represent Christ here in this world. Before we can reflect the love of Christ, outsiders must know that the church is a place where they can experience the love of Christ. I mean, why would those who are sick or those who are in need come to us if all they saw in our community was fear and rejection? Why would unbelievers come to us if our response to crisis and plague is the same as the world? We shut people out. The church is meant to be the hands and feet of Christ. So what does it say about the Savior if, if those who represent Him are turning people away just because they are sick or unvaccinated? What does it say about the Savior if those who represent Him function out of fear or, 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 or rather than faith? And if you think this is a little exaggerating, again, Quebec has mandated for churches to have vaccine passports. And churches have been enforcing this. Don't we believe in a God who's able to heal today? Amen? No amens to that? I mean, the last time I checked, we weren't cessationists, so... Why are we afraid of getting sick? Do not we, don't, don't we believe in a God who protects his people, who is sovereign even over the most microscopic viruses and bacteria? So why are we keeping people who are sick away? James, in his, in, his, in his book, literally says, if anyone is sick, bring him to the elders of the church so that they can pray for him for healing. Do we not believe in prayer anymore? And this is not to, dim, uh, to diminish or... or or, or, or say that we're not taking whatever is happening in the world seriously. In fact, we're taking it seriously by saying the only way that there's actual healing to be done is if we bring people to church by a move of God, by praying for them. 
But Pastor Ian, the science. What about the science? We believe in a God who created the science, who, who, who bypasses the science to, to, come, to do his will. Walking on the water, where's the science to that? Raising the dead, where's the science to that? Healing the sick, creating something out of nothing. We worship, we worship a God who doesn't fit in the box of science. But I get it, it gets easier to walk or act by sight and not by faith. But that's precisely why we, the, the people of God, need to have faith in a world where people lack faith. In a world where people only see death and disease and where people are, are, are spiraling into depression and hopelessness, the people of God must demonstrate great faith in the face of great fear. Because who else will? Church, if we want to be known as a people who reflects Christ's love, then we must be a people of faith. Faith that believes that Jesus is a living hope, that God does and can heal even today. That God does care and is in control. Scripture calls us to be ambassadors of Christ God, making his appeal through us to reach a hopeless and dark world. So we must be a people of faith. But you say, Pastor Ian, isn't it loving to keep your members safe, to keep them from sickness? Well, first of all, it's that kind of dialogue that degrades human beings to just carriers of a disease. Because you're not keeping people away from sickness, you're keeping people away from other people. It's part of that stigma that's grown in society. People have become less than human, just carriers of a virus. This statement also assumes that the most loving thing you can do is keeping believers safe and away from sickness. But look what Jesus commands the disciples to do when he sends them out to go preach the gospel. Matthew chapter 10, verse 7. He says to the disciples, And proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You receive without paying, give without pay. Jesus sent the disciples to the sick. He exposed them to lepers. He didn't keep them away. In fact, he specifically sent them to the sick who were dying and needed to, and needed to hear the gospel. Matthew and Mark, the Gospels, even recounts a time where Jesus brought his disciples to eat in the house of Simon the leper. So Jesus didn't keep his followers away from sickness, and he certainly didn't keep himself from sickness either. Look at our passage. Again, what does Jesus do? Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched this leper. A rabbi touching a leper? <laughs> Unthinkable, right? But the sentiment is this, when it comes to loving others with the love of Christ, we, we are to risk, even if it means our own health, our well-being, just to reflect Christ's love. Because the number one characteristic of Christ's love is sacrifice, not safety. And believer, if the reason why you are on the fence when it comes to these issues is because you fear death, then to you I say, oh, ye of little faith. Don't you know that for us who are in Christ, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That to live is Christ, but to die is gain. But I get why you're afraid, because those conclusions require faith. So that despite being in the face of sickness and death, we can still confidently reflect the love of Christ. 
Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 68, he says, So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage. And we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So here's, here's, here's the goal for our church this year. We must be a people of faith, not fear. We must be a community, a church that, that, that outsiders or the sick or the rejected of society can come to knowing they will receive help, knowing that they will, they will receive grace, knowing that they will not be rejected and receive love, not fear and shame. In order for us to be a people who reflects Christ's love, we must first be a people known of faith and people of people of faith, a people who believe that Christ loves the outcast, that, that there is no sickness that our God cannot heal, whether it's COVID or cancer. We must be known as a people who trusts in God, in a God who is in control and sovereign, even over death, disease, and life itself. Be bold. Be courageous. Don't live in fear. Welcome the sick. Pray with confidence for healing. Rejoice even in death. Let the world know that we have a living hope, a Savior who conquered death, hell, and the grave. Let's life be a people of faith. Secondly, if we are to reflect Christ's love, we must be a people of compassion. A people of compassion. It says in verse 41 of our passage, moved with pity. I love this word. It's the first Greek word that I, I, I learn in my studies. Splagnizomai. But unfortunately, the ESV doesn't translate it well. It doesn't mean pity. And the NIV doesn't translate it any better. And in the NIV, it says indignant. Jesus was indignant. But the word here in the original Greek means to be moved in the inward part, specifically in the heart, in the lungs, in the liver, in the kidney. Because in ancient times, that's where they thought the, the, the seed of emotions were. So, so what it's describing is this gut feeling that compels someone to not just feel for another, but act on that feeling. That is compassion. It's the same word that describes what Jesus felt when a widow brought her dead son to him, which then prompts Jesus to raise him to life. It's the same word that describes what Jesus felt when he saw the, the masses hungry and starving, which then he prompts him to multiply the fish and the loaves. It's the same word used to describe what the good Samaritan felt when he saw the half-dead man on the road to Jericho and then put him on his animal and took care of him. It's the same uh, feeling that the good father felt when he saw the prodigal son coming from afar and he ran to him. The same word used to describe what Christ felt every time he went into a city and he healed people. Matthew chapter 9, verse 36 says, When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And church, it ought to be the same sentiments for us when we have uh, the, the same sentiments that we have when confronted by the needs of others. When we are to help others, those who are sick, the mothers who are contemplating abortion, the parent who is grieving the death of their child, the, the brother who is lost in depression, the, the sister who is struggling with hopelessness, we are to be people of compassion to them. People move to act, move to reach out, move to bless, move to comfort, move to lay hands and pray. It's not enough that we just feel for them. We must act on their behalf. Again, look what our pastor says that Jesus did. Moved with pity, compassion, he stretched out his hand and touched 
this man. He touched him. Jesus looked past the bandages and the rotting flesh and saw the broken, hurting, desperate man underneath it all. Can you imagine what this, what this one act would have meant to this leper? Someone who was cast out by society, someone who was named an untouchable, someone who was deprived of human contact for years. Yet here's Jesus, lays a hand on him. And to top it off, look what Jesus says, said to him, I will be clean. See, the leper declared his faith that if Jesus willed, he would be made clean. And his faith was met with a resounding, yes, I will, Jesus says. I, meaning, I desire, I, I determine, I want you to be clean. When others were satisfied at the thought of leprosy just being a judgment from God, Jesus desired this man's healing. When society was reluctant to even go near this leper, Jesus wanted to be near him. When the world would have been okay if this man just laid down and succumbed to his disease, Jesus longed and willed for life in this man. Church, that's the kind of love that we are called to reflect. A love that feels compassion and, and, and is moved by it to act, to do something. It's a love that, that wills and desires the best for those who are in need. It's not superficial. It's not simply feeling pity for someone. Church, if you want to truly reflect Christ's love, you must be a people of compassion. A people who is moved to act, to help, who desires the well-being of those who are sick or dying or who are hopeless or who are desperately in need of change. Church, in order to love like the Savior, we must act like the Savior. Because infinitely more than love just being a feeling, love, love is an act. So church, be a people of compassion. Reach out, help, give, extend a hand, desire the best for someone in need and act on that desire. Encourage. Maybe you know of someone who, like this leper, would be, inter would be eternally blessed if you just reached out to them today. If they just knew that someone cared, if they were just treated differently than what they've been treated in the past. Show compassion, feel for them, and act on their behalf. Even when it comes to COVID and everything, if, even if you don't have the same views as someone who's going through that sickness or who's mourning that sickness, have compassion. Mourn with them, suffer with them. Grieve with them. Point them to Christ. Lastly, just very quickly before we close, if we want to reflect the, the love of Christ, we must also be a people of obedience. A people of obedience. In verse 42, it says, And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. That's awesome. No need for a rehab. It wasn't a gradual healing and, and limbs or, and all the limbs and the flesh that was rotted off were completely restored. It was clean. No more signs of leprosy. But then look what Jesus says to him. Verse 43. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer for yourself, for, for you, your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. Jesus didn't just heal this guy and said, I love you, now be on your way. No, he told him to go obey the word of the Lord. 
He told him to go obey the law of Moses, the, the, the law that, that commanded lepers to, to do after they were healed. Similarly, we can't just help those in need or simply let them know that they're loved by us or loved by God and accepted. We must point them to obedience. We must point them to the truth of God's word because the greatest act of love that we can demonstrate to an individual is point them to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Remember the story of the woman who was caught in adultery. This great story of of love. The Pharisees made this whole scene about stoning this woman and and Jesus showing great mercy and compassion says, "Let let him who is without sin cast the first stone. And no one does. And the only one who had the right, Jesus himself, doesn't condemn this woman. Again, it's a great story of love and compassion and of, of Christ's mercy. But how does that story end? Jesus says in John chapter 8, verse 10, he stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. He doesn't, just tell her to, he doesn't just tell her that she's, she's forgiven or that she's loved. He doesn't just demonstrate compassion to her. He tells her, stop sinning. Obey the word of the Lord. He calls her to repentance, to a changed life. See, what good is providing for someone's physical needs if their eternal need is not addressed? What good is simply telling someone that God loves them but not calling them to love God back? Church, it is loving for us to call people to obedience, to repent, to recognize our sin, to reconcile with a holy God. That's how we can desire the best for them. That's how we can reflect Christ's love to them because the best for them is that they get right with God. We must be a people of obedience, reasoning with people to obey Christ. So church, if you want to be a people that reflects Christ's love, we must be a people of faith. Not fear, not partial, not bias. Must welcome all. Outsiders must know that this is a house of God, a house where they can be accepted, received, even find healing and reconciliation with a loving God. We must be a people of compassion, not just feeling for someone, not just having our hearts break for someone, but actually acting, doing something, reaching out, Blessing someone, letting someone know that they're cared for, that they're loved, that you're with them. Finally, we must be a people of of obedience. Point them to the gospel, call them to repentance, show them the way to be right with God. I love how this story ends, because it's a great reminder of how Christ demonstrated his love to us. And I think that's a good reminder if we are to reflect Christ's love, then we should remember how Christ's love looked to us. It says in verse 45, after the leper was healed, he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. You see the contrast being made here. The leper who started as the outcast. Because Jesus accepted him, because Jesus, because he, has, he encountered Christ, Jesus took his place outside of community, outside of society. 
Jesus was the one who was made to go outside to these desolate places. See, this is what Christ did for us, right? The reality is we were this leper, the one who was unclean, the one who was tainted in the, by this flesh-eating, this soul-eating disease called sin. But because God showed compassion, sincere love and grace and mercy towards us, because God acted on his love for us, he sent his son to die on a cross for us. We are now the ones who are accepted, healed, made clean, made white as snow. Isaiah 53, a great passage of the suffering servant. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was a chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. So here's the reality about reflecting Christ's love. You can't reflect something that you yourself have not experienced. Unless you have tasted, truly tasted that the Lord is good, that the Lord is truly loving, you can't reflect what you have not experienced. So the invitation is clear again this morning. If you have not reconciled with a holy God, if you have not realized that you have offended, your sin has offended a holy God, and that there's no way that you can save yourself, that there is no good work, there's not enough good works that you can do, or enough times that you can come to church, or enough good things or good intentions that you can have that can save you. If you have not reconciled that yet with a holy God, I pray that you would do so today. The only person that can save you, the only person that can clean you from sin Get your right straight, your life straight is Jesus Christ. I ask you to put your trust, put your faith in him today. Church, I hope you are reminded of Christ's perfect love. His unconditional, irrevocable, undeserved, his limitless love that he has demonstrated to us so that we might truly reflect that same love others. Let's pray. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, Lord, we recognize in our lives where wherever we have fallen short when it comes to reflecting your love, when it comes to having faith, when it comes to being compassionate, when it comes to pointing others to you, Lord, we recognize, Lord, where we've fallen short. And I pray as a community, as individual, Lord, that you would change us. That you'd bring real conviction in our hearts that we would truly be a loving people. A people who reflect the love of Christ to each other, to our communities, to the people around us, to the world that desperately needs to know that you are a loving God. Oh, Lord, I pray that you embolden us, that you would, oh, Lord, help us be a people of faith and not of fear, that, God, you would truly break our hearts for those who are sick around us, those who are, who are in need, those who are rejected by society. Give us compassion that we might act, oh, Lord, on their behalf for your glory, oh, Lord. I pray, oh God, give us the opportunities to point people to obedience, to point people to your word, to your truth, to your gospel. Oh Lord, help us because 
We desire for your name to be lifted up in this dark world. To see lives changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Help us to reach others. Help us to cultivate lives that revolve around you. Help us to reflect your kind of love to this world. We know that your word has gone forth and does not return void. We pray these things in Jesus, your mighty name. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope that you were blessed by the sermon today. If you would like to learn about the gospel or know more about our church, please visit pluslifepeople.com. Remember to subscribe for more content. Until next time, stay blessed.